Good morning. How are you doing? Doing good? That's great. What are we celebrating today? The resurrection. And actually, we should celebrate that every day, shouldn't we? Every day of our life, we should be thinking about this, that we serve a risen Savior. Now, how we respond to that resurrection is, is very, very important. It, it's something that would, you hear discussed at this time of year. Did he really rise from the dead? Did he really do what he said? And as individuals, each of us has to make a determination about that, and we have to respond to that. There are various ways that we can do this. Even the disciples themselves had to respond to the idea that Jesus would have to die for their sin. And they, they struggled with that. We're going to see this. And so they, they resorted to their own power, their own way of handling it as we look at it today. But first let's read what we're celebrating. In Luke 24, starting in verse 1, Now on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared but they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Then they went in and did not find the body of the Lord. And it happened, as they were greatly perplexed about this, that, behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. Then as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to him, to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? Key thought. Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified in the third day, rise again. And they remembered his words. Then they returned from the tomb and told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. And their words seemed to them like idle tales, and they did not believe them. Store that in your memory bank. These words seemed like idle tales, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb and stood down. Stooping down, he saw the linen clothes laying in them themselves. And he departed, marveling to himself, and what had happened. See, when we think about the resurrection, we have to decide within ourselves, is this true? Is it something that we can depend on? And at this time of year, you hear all kinds of different ideas about what really happened. There's all kinds of theories that people put out there that try to explain away the reality of the resurrection. The Bible makes it crystal clear that Jesus rose from the dead. And the Bible makes this clear. There's only one way to heaven. There's only one way to come into the presence of God Almighty. In John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. And so what you determine to do with your life makes a difference. How you respond to this offer of grace, this offer of eternal life, makes a difference. And part of the response is you need to realize that our Savior, Jesus Christ, is alive. He's alive. And he's the first fruits of the resurrection. 
and that we can depend on that promise that he will come for us and where he is we will be also living with him for eternity. So how do we respond to this power? First, there is the way of the earth. The way of the earth is, is physical power. The way of the earth is about the idea of who is greatest, who has the most force, who is strongest, who will fight. That's, that's the way our earth, our nation, for many of us, that's how we think. We put our faith, we put our trust in the power and the might of our nation to defend us and to fight for us. And you know what? I, I want you to know that if you've served our nation, I appreciate you so much because I know that I stand here today and I can proclaim the gospel because of your sacrifice. I'm not diminishing that. But what I'm telling us each of us, that we need to understand that the resurrection shows us a power that's far greater than that. It's the power to live our life. Yet even the disciples themselves struggled with this idea of earthly power, the idea of authority, the idea of having control over someone else. In, in uh, Luke chapter 22, uh, Jesus is, is with his disciples. Uh, he's just uh, shared with them uh, about the idea of the Lord's Supper. He has explained this all in clear detail to them, what it's about. And the, the disciples then have a, a discussion. And, and the discussion goes like this. Now there was also a dispute among them as to which of them should be considered the greatest. And he said to them, The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those who exercise authority over them are called benefactors. But not so among you. On the contrary, he who is greatest among you, let him be the younger. And he who governs as he who, is, as he who serves. Notice this. Let him be the younger. How many of you got a younger sibling? <laughs> I can't help but pick up on that. I don't, I don't have one. I'm the baby in the family. So I know how older people look at younger brothers. Well, they sure as shooting shouldn't be in charge, right? <laughs> they shouldn't be in charge. But, but Jesus brings up that point. He says, you know, consider this, that, that they should be like the younger, you know, the ones least expected to be in control. And then he goes on, but not so among you. On the contrary, he who is greatest among you, let him, I'm reading that same verse, but be as the younger, and he who governs as he who serves. For who is greater, he who sits at the table or he who serves? Is it not he who sits at the table? Yet I am among you as the one who serves. See, it, he's explaining to them, you guys, it's not about power. It's not about who's going to have the authority over the other guy in heaven. It's about understanding that, that you're serving a God who loves you. They didn't know it yet. They didn't get it yet. And that's how it is. All of us have to come to a point where we begin to understand that God has sent his son to die for us. 
each of us individually. There's not one person here that God would not send his son to die for. Matter of fact, he did. And sometimes we forget that. And we think, well, there's another way that we should go about this. See, Jesus, Jesus does teach a different way. Be a servant. Whatever position you hold, however uh, powerful you might think, be a servant. Be the servant that God calls us to. And that is what Jesus did that same night. He had, he done, he had did this for his disciples so that they might understand what it means to truly be a servant. Look at John 13, starting in, in verse 3. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper and laid aside his garments, took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. Then he came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but you will know this, know after this. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash your feet, you have no part in me. And then Peter goes on and says, Well, wash, me, wash all of me. See, what was he showing, though? What was he modeling there? He, he's showing them to be a servant, that you're called to serve, not, not to exert power over others, but to serve and to, and to model the love of Jesus Christ. So men often choose the way of power. Power is often achieved through violence, and the crucifixion is, is a violent thing. There's no... There's, uh, no other thing or way of dying that I believe that could be any more violent than the cross. I don't think we can fathom what happened there, the infinite suffering that Jesus had on the cross. As he took on the sins of every one of us here, of everyone in the world who's willing to accept what he did, the sins were taken on him in that moment on the cross. And those who put him there, which, by the way, includes us all, which we don't like to think about. But those that were present at that time thought that they had gained power. They'd exerted their power over Christ. See, these disciples desired control. We turn again in, in Luke and we're in, in chapter 22, we see an interesting discussion. The, desire, the disciples also uh, wanted to fight. You know, they said they would fight. Peter there in that chapter said that he would, he would not deny Christ no matter what, even if he had to die, that he would fight for Christ. And so Jesus has a very interesting discussion with them, starting in verse 35. And he said to them, when I sent you without money, bag, knapsack, and sandals, did you lack anything? So they said nothing. So his power was great at that time to, con to take care of their needs and to take care of them. Then he said to them, but now 
he who has a money bag, let him take it. And likewise, a knapsack. And he who has no sword, let him sell his garment and buy one. For I say to you that this which is written must still be accomplished in me. And he was numbered with the transgressors. For the things concerning me have an end. So they said, Lord, look, here are two swords. And he said to them, it is enough. Notice what he's saying. Here's swords. Swords represent power, an ability to fight, an ability to control the situation. Why would he ask that question? Why would he make sure that they took a sword with them? We look over at Matthew. We look at Matthew 26. We're going to begin in verse 51. We're in the garden, and they've come to arrest Jesus. And it begins this way. And suddenly one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword, struck the servant of the high priest, and cut off his ear. But Jesus said to him, Put your sword in its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Put your sword back. Why did he tell him to take it to start with? Verse 53. Or do you think that I cannot now pray to my Father and he will provide me with more than 12 legions of angels? How then could the scripture be fulfilled that it must happen thus? And in that hour, Jesus said to the multitudes, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to take me? I sat daily with you teaching in the temple, and you did not seize me. But all this was done that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples forsook him and fled. Now, if they wouldn't have taken a sword, what could they always say? Well, we would have fought. We would have stuck up for the Lord. We wouldn't have ran, but they had no way to fight. He took away that excuse. He, he showed them without a doubt that they would later come to realize that they were not trusting him. They had a better way. Their way was the way of power. Now he explained something to them that, that there's no power on this earth or that has ever been that could have taken Jesus' life. Jesus went to the cross, and he went to the cross because he chose to do so. Colossians says that the, by his power, the very things consist. Referring to the idea of the creation of the world, atoms and all those things are held together by his power. The very nails that held Jesus to the cross, he could have dissolved away. There's no power that could hold him to the cross. He, he says here in verse 53, or do you think that I cannot now pray to my Father and he will provide me with more than 12 legions of angels? The people argue about these kind of things. Well, how many people are in a legion? And the, the number that I read said 5,600. So Jesus could have called down 67,200 angels. In the Old Testament... 2 Kings 9.35, we hear that 
one angel killed 185,000 people in one night. Could, did he need them to pull out their sword and fight for him? No, he, choo he chose himself a different way. And it wasn't the way of the sword, and it wasn't the way of power. If you do the math on this, those angels could handle 12 million, 430, 12 billion, 432 million people. That's more people than we got now. I mean, about two and a half times the population of the earth. It, it's, it's so silly to think that they had to do this. But the only way they would understand it is to put them in that situation. The only way that we can understand that we need Christ is sometimes to be in a situation that allows us to have to depend on him and to see the value of what he's done and to have it come to our understanding of our ability to do wrong. Each of us needs to understand this. So he said, put away your sword. And they had what choice did they make at that point? It wasn't going to go the way they thought. And so... They ran. See, he, Jesus understood something very clearly that we need to get a hold of ourselves. And that is, what is the source of our power? To live the life that we should, to walk with God. Obviously, it's the power of the presence of the Holy Spirit living in us. But in John 19, 11, Jesus answered, you could have no power at all against me unless I had given, it had been given to you from above. See, the power comes from above. It comes from God. And he has a power to change our life. And so there's a second choice that we can take, and that's called the way of obedience. The way of the obedience is defined by those who will listen, those who will yield their lives and submit their will to God. And this is exactly what Jesus did in the Garden of Gethsemane. As he took his disciples there the, the, the night before he was crucified, and he asked them to pray with him. And what did they do? You remember? They fell asleep. But what did Jesus pray? Not my will, but thine be done. That's the power of, of obedience. The way of obedience is to yield in submission to God alone. No one could put Jesus on that cross. Only love. Only love. Sometimes that fact gets misunderstood. That Jesus loves everyone. All of us. But there's something else about Jesus that's kind of important to understand, and that is Jesus is holy. He's holy as well. And so that's what Jesus did. He paid the penalty for our sin. Jesus, God never overlooks sin. We sometimes think he does. He doesn't. There was always a price to be paid. And Jesus is the one who paid that price. And so love held Jesus on that cross. Not the power of men, but the power of obedience to the will of God.
power of love. And see, no one can defeat the power that love brings unless it's you. Unless it's you. That includes me. We cannot defeat it. There's a third way that Christians need to get a hold of. There's the way of the cross, which is the way Jesus chose. And the way of the cross is the way to victory. It requires us to trust God. It requires faith. You know, the world trying to control itself and to keep its power wants to silence the message of the gospel. Wants to keep it quiet. Wants nobody to know that there's another way to do it. There's another way to live. There's another way to, to walk. There's another way to handle life. And so they try to keep us quiet about it. Jesus wants us, each one, to understand this different way. How, how valuable that way is. And how much it means to each of us. See, this is not some trivial little thing. It's not just something we need to think about once in a while. It's something that we need to think about all the time. We need to understand that Jesus shows us how to live. And that's not as easy as it sounds, is it? To focus on what he would have us do. To keep our eyes there, keep our hearts there, and, and to... And to really experience the cross. Am I going to tell you today that it's easy to be a Christian? It's not. It's not easy. And see, Jesus demonstrated that on the cross by dying for us. This tomb is empty. Look at Matthew 28. And we're going to read another account of, of this resurrection, starting in verse 1. It says, Now after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week, began to dawn Mary Magdalene, and the other Mary came to the tomb, and behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven, and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. His countenance, countenance was like lightning, and his clothing as white as snow. And the guard shook for fear of him and became like dead men. And these are not cowards. These are guards. These are, these are Romans. These are soldiers that, that understood their duty. Who had probably seen some of the most horrible things on earth. In some of the campaigns they had waged. And yet they were fearful and shook. Why? Because of the power of God. The power of the resurrection. His power. But the angel answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen. And he said, Come, see the place where the Lord lay. And go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And indeed, he is going before you into Galilee. 
There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. So they went out quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to bring his disciples word. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, Rejoice! So they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. You know, there was a, a Sunday school teacher once who asked his class, what is, what is the first word that Jesus said when he was when he raised from the dead. And the little girl said, Ta-da! <laughs> Can you see that? Can you that that's the that's if you think there's not a reward in being a Sunday school teacher, there it is. But this verse tells us Matthew says his first word was as inspired by the Spirit of God, rejoice. Rejoice. See, that, that's the way of the cross, the rejoice. That's the way of the resurrection to understand that he is alive today. Everything he said is true. Everything he promised is true. And if we accept what he says and we follow him, then why wouldn't we rejoice today? And if we could just keep our eyes focused on him, why wouldn't we do that every day? You see, that's where in the battle comes, doesn't it? What power do you trust in? What power do I trust in? That's always the question. And it's not an easy one to answer because if you're like me, sometimes I don't trust in the power of God. I get caught up with things. I get weighed down by things. See, we, we want an abundant life, don't we? So why do we seek the living among the dead? Why don't we seek the living Savior who does what? Who brings the victory, the Savior lives. The victory is won as we submit to the will of God. Without that submission, there is no victory. There has to be a submission of our will to God. And so we can see that this submission brings about a change. As we look at the disciples, we can see that they no longer were afraid. They had ran, but now they didn't run anymore. They had failed, but now they walked in a better way. It's the same for us as it is for them. They became men who died for the cause of the Savior. And see, he changed them, and he will change us as well. And he continues to change us. He changes us from victims to victors to find a way to rejoice in whatever might come our way. Jesus brings victory to those who will sacrifice, who will confess no matter the price. 
and who will receive the blessings that knowing God brings. And so around the world, people are sacrificing because they will not be silenced. They will not be told to shut up. And the powers that be want to do that. And I think they want to do that to us too. And so Christians rejoice, proclaim the gospel, understand that, that the victory comes through sacrifice. Jesus paid the price for that victory. First comes the cross, and then comes the victory. Right? With no cross, there would be no victory. With no cross, there would be no resurrection. With no resurrection, we would have no hope. But praise be to God, we have that hope that rests in us. We understand that everyone will recognize the power of God one day. Philippians tells us that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. The question we have to ask for each of us is how have we done that ourselves? Or we wait for that day without the blood of Christ our knee will bow but it won't be in victory. We will confess. But what we will confess is that we were mistaken and that we missed the offer of eternal life that Jesus Christ died for. And so today, we know that our Savior lives and He lives that we might live also. Let's stand. We're going to sing our invitation hymn this morning. If there's a decision that needs to be made, we'd ask you to come as we sing.